You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time. It's Ari and Sophie, and you are listening to Having a Night, the podcast dedicated to reviving the very, 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 very lost art of the dinner party. We hope you guys are not having dinner parties because shit is real. It is freaky. And I'll leave that there. And that's our first episode of 2021. And I keep seeing seeing people posting though, like, I just did X in, in 2021. I think it's like one of the last times that I'll you know, be eating alone or be, you know, having to wear a mask. It's like, guys, the vaccination rollout is slow. Just because the year technically changed doesn't mean that it still feels like 2020. It really still feels like 2020 more so than any other year. Like most years it feels, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, most years it feels like, okay, there's a distinct division, even if ultimately time is just a construct, yada, yada. It's like, at least there feels like a difference. There's no difference this year. It's I know. I, same. <laughs> I kind of begrudgingly wrote 2021 in my notebook this morning. And I was like, I should just keep writing 2020 until we fully get through this. Yeah. The year shouldn't be allowed to change. How do we start that? Like whoever started daylight savings, how do we start that? Like the year 2020 is not over until everyone has been vaccinated. Right. We need a new calendar altogether. Yeah. The Venturian calendar. (laughs) (laughs) What did you eat this week? New Year's meal. Oh my God. Well, we went to our, we quarantined them. You know, we have these friends who who, um, live nearby. So we went to see them. It was a very, almost like a traditional steakhouse-y type of evening. So I made deviled eggs, which were really good. Harry made the most incredible chicken liver pate. We were going to make Gougere, but we didn't. And then they did like <laughs> steak, really good cream spinach. Actually, they they made theirs spicy cream spinach, mm. which was very delicious. Very into that. Two different kinds of steak, a filet, which usually, you know, I do not go in for filet mignon because it doesn't have enough fat, but this was very good. And a porterhouse. And wow. then- Did they cook all of that or did yeah. they have some help? No, 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 no. They cooked it all themselves. And then mashed potatoes and a persimmon cake which you guys, apparently it's an Alice Waters recipe. It was so good. I can't even describe the texture to you. Look it up. It's mm. almost like a sticky toffee pudding. In case you've listened to the episode where I talked about sticky toffee puddings, you're probably sensing a theme. I like things that are stodgy. Um, <laughs> very, very good. And she, and also she made like a whiskey ice cream of some kind. Very good. It was delicious. I'm so impressed. That Wait, what did you make good. though for your French evening? So if you guys listened last week, I 
I took uh, Sophie's incredible advice, cooked a French, had a French soiree, gave everyone invitations the night before or two days before. So it was cute. adorable. We started with, we did a baked camembert, which was really good. We did it with garlic and thyme and a teeny, teeny bit of maple syrup. Usually when you have a baked cheese, of course, it's so good. But traditionally you have like a lot of jam or preserves on top, which is great. But I almost want that for like a dessert course. Yeah. So garlic and the thyme just really, I thought, like took it up a notch, kicked it up a notch. Is that something no, Fieri says? If, I mean, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's guy guy and guy. As Chris Geary, <laughs> our friend Chris Geary wrote on our on our Instagram the other day, their pronouns are guy guy and guy. Sorry, I have a question about the yes. uh, big camel bear. Was this in a crust? No. Okay. So I love it. You buy the one that comes in the little. Uh, it's not wood. It's like. Oh it's yeah, cardboard. It no, it's it is wood, wood. But it's really thin. Yeah. yeah, like you could snap it. Um, you take it out of there because there's usually a little piece of paper on the bottom, and you don't want that in there. And you wrap it. You put tin foil around it, put it back in the thing, and then we put little sticks of garlic in, thyme on top, and then you loosely cover the top with the rest of the tin foil. You don't want it touching. And mm-hmm. then you trim the tin foil off, and it kind of rises. I don't know why, but it kind of gets a little puffy, and then. Uh, yeah, we just served it with a little, with some crostini. So we had that, we made some, uh, little smoked salmon on cucumber, um, to start. And then I made a French onion soup, which yes, time consuming, but I feel like I never made it before because, uh, I thought it was complicated. I don't know why I thought it was complicated. It's so simple. Okay. I'm going to have to caramelize onions forever. So you caramelize onions, then we've got some beef broth going then is it like when you put it together, you just mix the caramelized onions with the beef broth, put on a little crostini and then just cover it with cheese. And I'm making this tonight. Is that how you make it? Pretty much. We added in a little bit of um, flour, I think at the end of the caramelization, just to thicken the stock up a little bit. Yeah. I think the key is truly having the, making the best beef broth you can making it really, really dark and flavorful. We use store-bought and that's probably why it, it went so fast and it was so easy. But if you have the patience to just keep kind of stirring onions for like an hour or an hour and a half, add in the broth, let it reduce and let it like take on the flavors of the onion. One thing you have to have though is uh, some kind of, you want it individually baked and you have to have bowls that can go in the broiler. Oh, interesting. But here's my theory about this, about things being oven safe. If it's, yes. if it's ceramic, it's like, it was made in an oven. That was made in a I very, feel the very, same. very, very hot oven. Like it I should know. be fine. Obviously I'm if you confused. have something that's like incredibly precious and you're very scared of, don't use that. But like, generally I would think it's all oven safe. I agree. I agree. We have to get to the bottom of this. Maybe we need a ceramicist on the show. Wait, you know, Harry gave me a ceramics class for my birthday, but we haven't been able to do it. Oh, so fun. I'm just going to be throwing pots, baby. I can't wait. Oh, yes. If anybody has HBO Max, there is a show called The Great British Pottery Throwdown, and it's very good, and we've gotten very into it. Yes, I think you actually mentioned this before, either on Chip Hour <laughs> or on the show. It's very, it's very domestic of you. Then we made a Basque chicken, which I want to do something like more of a stew. So good. A lot of um, peppers, wine. It, it was delicious. Olives, um, some little potatoes in there, kind of a one dish main. And then I made some sauteed leeks, creamed leeks. 
Yum. And some some haricot vert. And then for dessert, we made little chocolate uh, souffles, individual souffles. So we needed oh. a lot of like small individual bowls and ramekins for this meal. But can I be honest? That's sure. what Always. makes me feel the most celebratory is when they come individually served. I mean, you and I, I talk about family style all the time. And yet if you give me a chocolate souffle that is in my own ramekin, Right. I mean, love it. Whereas mm-hmm. if what you bring out a huge souffle and want me to take a spoon of it. Well, I kind of like that too. But. Know, mm-mm, mm-mm, not for something like this. Oh God. I love it. It's so, so fresh. <laughs> so fresh and watch our French video. If you like us being French. Oh yes, guys. We think it's really funny. What a shock. Uh, it's on Instagram. Funny and informative, Rebecca Pepler, the incredible food cocktail Bev writer, uh, she writes for The Times. She has uh, her first cocktail book called Aperitif, which the video is based on, is absolutely my favorite cocktail recipe book of all time. I've given it as a gift to so many people this holiday season. Her second book is coming out. Anyway, she helped us walk through these shots. We made this video with her. It's funny. It's informative. It will make you want to take shots every night before dinner. And live um, your most exciting COVID life, 2020. Now, speaking of living exciting COVID lives, yes, this guest, yes, Holly Shortino, dude. I mean, Ari and I obviously we always finish our interviews and we're like, that was so much fun. God, that person is amazing. Carly, it was actually we realized halfway through we were like, oh, she's actually interviewing us. It's right. like she's such a good conversationalist. It doesn't feel like a straight interview to us, at least. I mean, I was like, yes, ask us more. I love this. (laughs) I know. She's such a, well, you can tell she's such a great journalist and writer, but she's also just like a really nice person. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like, yeah, I'm answering your question and then like pause until the next question. She she kept being like, well, what about you? Anyway, she is incredible. I have a feeling a lot of our listeners probably already know who she is. She's the founder of Slut Ever. She has a website, books. She's uh, She writes the Breathless column for Vogue. She is a writer, producer, her Slut Ever. She has a show on Vice now. I mean, she's she does it all. She's sex positive. She's a columnist. She's a journalist. I'm literally just repeating the things that you said. It makes just it more true. Anyway, the point is. We love her. And we were talking to our friend, Sarah connected us with her and we were like, well, you know, I feel like we don't talk that much about sex on this show, but it's so much more than that. Like it's really, it's about dating. It's about relationships. It's about food. It's about so much more. So it's really about having a night, the kind of night that a lot of people our age, you know, that you have when you're first meeting someone and, and you're going out and should you, should you have a full meal on the first date? All of these questions that uh, are very important. That's true. Very, very important at any age. True. So with that, please enjoy. So excited to be here talking to you. We're just like going to go deep on food and sex. I mean, Ari, where do you even, where do you want to begin with this? (laughs) Well, let's just cover our bases a little bit. Like, let's say, let's talk as if it's pre-COVID for, just for a little, um, just so our listeners can get to know you a bit, Carly. So what kind of parties, you know, we're the dinner party girls, you're the expert with sex relationships dating. What are your kind of, what parties would you frequent back in the olden times pre-COVID? Like what's your ideal night out? Yeah, I love going out, (laughs) which is mixed this period of time. Um, 
strange because it feels like, you know, you're trapped inside, like literally, but also sort of like in your mind, you know, mm-hmm. self-exploration. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, like I'm in my mid thirties now and I feel like what going up means changes so much. Whereas when I was in my twenties, late teens and early twenties, I loved raving so much. I was like, wow so passionate about raving. And then I remember, I remember one time having this conversation so vividly when I was like 20 and I was like out on drugs. And I remember thinking like, I know that people say that they age out of this, but like, I will love this (laughs) forever. Like having such conviction about that. But then obviously that's not true. And, uh, and I feel like in the last few years, the dinner party is so fun, you know, especially when, you get like the right group of people and the right house. And so, you know, I've loved, I've always loved like restaurants. I love long dinners in mm-hmm. lit restaurants, you know, with like the lighting is very flattering and just started having dinner parties at my house. I just, I just got into cooking like at the end of last year for the first time in my life. And it just started like, coming to this new identity of someone who cooks and has dinner parties, which was like stolen from me, you know, by COVID. The real tragedy of COVID. Yeah. (laughs) I do think about those days in my twenties as well. I wasn't raving. I I, I should have been, I think I went to a couple, but even my idea of like what a dinner party was in my twenties was so different than now. I mean, there are a few exceptions like Sophie's holiday party every year, which gets like pretty, everyone's pretty blitz by the end. But I'm hoping that there's a resurgence of, of like really going hard once COVID is, is gone, you know, fingers crossed, just, just to return to those days. Cause I think I've become a little too kind of quaint. And I, I, last night we were coming home from having dinner out and I was like, should we have a nightcap? And my boyfriend was like, I don't know. We should probably go to sleep. Like, who <laughs> am I? <laughs> so lame. What about, okay. So what do we think has been happening to sex in COVID, like as in people who went in, we all know that there have been people who have broken up during COVID, blah, 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 but like people who have been single during COVID, I have this feeling that it's like really, really accelerated relationships where it's like people maybe met someone online during COVID and now all of a sudden they're sort of like quasi living together. Yeah. And I feel like the time frame of like when usually it would be okay to cook for a person or like, you know, invite them over for a tete-a-tete at your place. The timeline is like crazy now. What's your, what's your sense of that? It's so true. I said the other day, which is probably offensive, but I was like, COVID has turned everyone into a lesbian. Like all relationships are <laughs> lesbian relationships where it's like moving with someone within five minutes and you're just like, stay at home, cook for each other. But I totally agree. I mean, I have a friend, like, I don't know. I feel like the most extreme example of this is she's poly and was a sex worker and, you know, the opposite of sort of like a settled monogamy. Not like she didn't, you know, she had like a relationship in which like they lived together. So it wasn't um, like she didn't have, like the domesticity was totally foreign, but like the idea of only sleeping with one person was something that for the last decade of her life or really forever had never really happened. She's like mm-hmm. 30. Um, and she lives in New York and, you know, like, especially at the beginning when it was so, it was life threatening to be yeah. multiple people. So she ended up, she had just started dating this guy right before COVID happened. And then, so they basically like chose each other and they were quarantining 
um, they were like in a pod or whatever, mostly living together. And she was like, it forced me into this experience of monogamy, which I had never had, which is sort of, I think kind of interesting, you know, and she was like, is it how I'm going to live for the rest of my life? I don't know, but it's under different circumstances. She was saying, I would never have done this. And it does Mm -hmm. teach you something about yourself and about relationships and about how the intimacy of that, that's like a valuable lesson. And I feel like something that I've been thinking about is that, you know, for our generation and the generation really before us and after us, we've been the, the beneficiaries of what is essentially this huge progression in terms of the openness of sexuality and like the diminishing of the sexual level standard. And that, that is a huge gain for us that we can like have multiple sexual partners without risk, without like not saying slut shaming is over, but you know, especially I feel like in our social circles, like that, that has not been something that I have experienced, mm-hmm. um, not to speak for you, but then with that gain, we've also lost something like we've lost the experience of long-term courtship. We've lost the experience of like dating for a while before sitting with someone and learning how that feels and to experience that, it's like a lot of people are going through that process, you know, especially new daters. And why, why not? Isn't there a benefit to trying something? It's such a novelty to do that. And yeah. I think a lot of people are like learning a lot about themselves and relationships through that experience, forced experience, basically. Right. I think there's also this thing that's happening right now where we're so drawn to anything that feels like cozy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like that experience of monogamy can feel so cozy in that way where it's like, it's much less about a certain form of sexiness. And it's much more this kind of like, Oh, the relief of having a person who I know to be safe, who I feel like I can sleep with and spend time with is so necessary in this time. Yeah. Like I think, you know, sexual freedom is something that you know, I, I, before this, and I was in a relationship before this, but a lot of people I know, and I've been in that position in my life too, where it's just like sexual freedom is like so desirable and not wanting to be in a relationship feels like a a form of freedom and autonomy that's right for you in that, at points in your life. And then that kind of sexual freedom became less and less desirable, even to people who that was like part of their identity, Mm -hmm. because it, it meant, you know, being alone or being in danger. Right. So right. it's funny how like domesticity suddenly felt really appealing to people, even in relationships. I was like, Oh, I guess like cooking at home is fun, which is something I never really did because I was like a restaurant addict, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been the queen of, since I was like in my late teens being like, I'm never getting married. I'm never getting married. I don't believe in marriage. I don't believe it in it as, as an institution. It's total bullshit. It's great for other people, not for me. And I got married in June. Like it's just <laughs> really thrown people's expectations. And I think, you know, it's so good actually to have something thrown at you where you're like, wow, I thought I knew myself so well, maybe I just don't. And like, that's okay. You know, I've been so hard headed about certain things and to just be like, okay, why am I busy trying to define myself when when I, when I don't even know me. <laughs> I know it's like a reactive response. Like a lot of things you realize, well, for me, 
that so much of the way that I've had planned out my life has been a reaction to not wanting to be like my parents, where I was like, well, my parents met in high school more to monogamous relationships, so I don't want to be like that. And like, they live in the suburbs, so I don't want to be like that. And like, mm-hmm. they live cooking, so I don't want to be like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like less examining what you actually like versus what you're trying to avoid. And it's yeah. funny, throughout this period, I was like, found out that I really liked cooking and like that I liked working outside with like the guard in the garden and I got a sewing machine and I'm like, who am I? But also it's this, this really stupid realization where it's like, hold on guys, like gardening and the cooking at home is actually really nice. Like it's like the thing that for centuries since like the dawn of man, people have liked. And I'm like, did you know that these things are actually really grounding? Totally. So So, Harley, now that you're just such an accomplished home chef, what, (laughs) have you been cooking? Do you have like a signature dish? Is that something that a person should have? Or is that just an embarrassing <laughs> thing to have? I kind of think it's an embarrassing thing, but if you have one, no shame. Uh, then I take it back. Um, well, something I've loved cooking is pasta. Basically my, I grew up my, with like a very like Italian American family who loves cooking. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, the primary way that people express love, like, especially my dad, he's like not the biggest talker or the most emotionally vulnerable person, but he's such an amazing cook and like loves cooking for people as a way of connecting. And, um, you know, when I was going out, like my grandmother had the way that she made like red sauce, like, you know, tomato sauce. And then like my dad had his way, man, and her way. So like everyone kind of had like their signature sauce. Which, mm-hmm. And then so I... I really liked experimenting with making, you know, a certain kind of like, there's like the winter pasta sauce I was making with like canned tomatoes and then like the summer cherry tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm really good at those things. So I like cooking that. That's my favorite. But then I've also been experimenting with a lot of new stuff. <laughs> I've been challenging myself recently, like in the last month is um, like Asian food, like Chinese food. And I can't seem to really get it right. Like the noodles um, are always like mush. The sauce is kind of slimy. I like don't know how to do it. I think Chinese food is the hardest thing to cook. I mean, there's also so many cuisines within Chinese food, obviously, but like all I will, you know, I'll find a recipe. I'm so excited about it. And I try it and it is, there are some cuisines that you're like, it's just so much better at a restaurant. I can do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I made like a vegan mapo tofu, which is like, it's like a silken tofu dish with some, with ground pork. And I did like a vegan version that was successful. Cause like, it wasn't the real thing. It wasn't meant to be the real thing, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but it's like same flavors, but yeah, I, I agree. I think Chinese is very difficult. You're not alone. Does your boyfriend also cook? Does he not cook? No, not at all. Like hmm. completely when we started dating, um, I sort of moved in with him soon because like he was living in LA and I was living in New York. So like, you know, if I was going to move to LA, it wasn't to get my own apartment. So we moved in together quite quickly. And we're getting there and being like, you don't have plates. Yeah. Like, we literally didn't have plates, but he's like, yeah, not one of those guys who's like, Oh, you know, like an adult baby. It was just like in that specific realm. Right he did not have the things that you would need. Like, you know, like pans. It yeah. just was like nothing. 
And then um, his stove didn't work. But he, he never cooked. turned the gas on or something? Yeah, but, but <laughs> I didn't cook at the time either. This was like three years ago, three and a half years ago. So I didn't really cook very much either. And then it was like a few months in to dating and I was like trying to cook an egg and I was like the stove's broken he was like oh it's not broken um it just doesn't work and like you've never noticed oh <laughs> wow like t- this would be like the ultimate deal breaker it's like you have no place I'm so sorry you're so wonderful we can't date <laughs> like incredible what about you guys I think for Ari and I it's also like we both enjoy cooking so much it's part of for me it's such a big part of how I de-stress like it's so it doesn't feel like, oh boy, somebody's got to make dinner. It's like, oh, I get time alone in the kitchen to chop things and like have a glass of wine. And completely, I really don't mind that he doesn't cook. Like, I actually, there's been times where he was like, Do you want me to help chop stuff or whatever? And I doesn't even feel like help. It's like, I love to have wine and I'll usually watch like something like on TV that doesn't require, you know, actually yes. paying much attention yes. um, or listen to a podcast and it feels like relaxing and creative and fun. And so if I can't be watching whatever TV I want to watch because someone else is there, it actually feels it's less fun for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, I'm curious actually to know your stance on like drinking before hosting dinner parties because I always, by the time I sit down at the table, because I've been so fapitzed about like getting everything out and making sure that it's delicious and beautiful, I'm so drunk by the time I sit down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hey, you guys enjoy it. <laughs> All the way over here. So like, if you're hosting people, will you try to rein it in? Or are you like, oh no, I don't care. I don't really care. I don't, I don't want to get like drunk, but I have like, because I can imagine myself doing that. But I do have like some social anxiety. So like having, you know, if you have some social anxiety that like having a couple drinks doesn't even make you drunk. It just like, yes. Cause you have so much stress. It's like constantly taking the edge off. Yeah. 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 Where it's like if you don't, it's like, if you don't have anxiety and you take an Ativan, you fall asleep. But if you do actually have a lot of anxiety, you take an Ativan, you just feel you fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also when I'm cooking, I am tasting all the time. So I feel like I'm not even hungry half the time when yeah. people actually start eating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, totally. I often sit down, but then I always have the thing where like at the beginning of the meal, I'm not hungry. I'm also kind of anxious. Like I've had a few drinks. And then at the end of the meal, I'm like in my kitchen, literally eating all of the leftovers that the other <laughs> eaten. I'm like, oh, I'm starving. It's like my adrenaline, my adrenaline abated. And I was just left with like a gaping hole that I'm trying. And, to and you're drunk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It finally hits. I got this book called The Naked Mind, which is about alcohol. And like a lot of people say they're like, um, read it to start to be like come sober basically mm-hmm. that, um, I'm not trying to become sober but it's also it's just about like drinking more consciously and I feel like mm-hmm. throughout this period of time I was always like I am a social drinker like I I don't drink at home so I don't have like and like I thought that that meant that I like didn't have issues like sometimes I have a drink before leaving but the sort of takeaway was that I actually was so social that I was going out almost every night. So I was drinking almost every night. And then mm-hmm. during this period of time, it turns out like I'm actually really good at drinking home by myself. <laughs> <You know? laughs> pretty fun. It's pretty fun. I know. 
So I was like thinking about there wasn't that many days during this whole period of the time that I didn't have at least one drink. Same. Yeah. Weird. I think I should not. That doesn't seem like the right way to operate. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think about it so much in terms of, I always am going back to thinking about Europe in terms of this stuff and just being like, it's so normal in other cultures to have a glass of wine with dinner or like, it's so normal to have an aperitif or something that I think the, I mean, American, you know, we're very puritanical when it comes to alcohol. And so I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine every day. Pete Wells actually wrote a really nice article about that in 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 New York Magazine, basically like in praise of the cocktail hour. And just, I think in a way it's like, is that part of why there are all these new no booze brands is because people love the tradition of a cocktail hour, but apparently Gen Z doesn't drink, which Gen Z tell us that's not true. Oh my God. <laughs> but you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, I, I don't like alcohol, but I like the ritual. It's insane. I know really Gen Z didn't drink, which is probably related to the fact that they don't have sex, right? <laughs> Wait, so, okay, Gen Z is not having sex. Is that, like, is that a, is that a fact? They have sex less. So. The idea is, like, that millennials have sex less than their parents and that Gen Z has sex less than millennials. Wow. I guess we're going to finally see a population decline on this earth because, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, the earth is overridden anyway. <laughs> That's really interesting. So, okay. When it comes to dating, obviously you have a boyfriend right now, but like when it comes to dating, I have so many questions. One of which is obviously (laughs) at what point is it okay to cook for another person? Is that when is it not moving things too fast? And also like, what if you're trying to keep things deliberately casual and then you invite someone over? Is that suddenly like, oh, now you're trying to make it a much bigger thing. You know what I mean? Cooking for someone to me does seem like a far along thing. I mean, I have a different experience of this and, and and probably not the best to answer it because I never cooked for anyone while I was eating. Cause I just never cooked. Like cooking is something that I really came into and started to like love. And I feel like my, the learning curve has been really steep because I've been, you know, having to be home so much this year, but it was like really just like a year ago that I started to, to do it and love it. And then, so it was more like I had the experience and has of people cooking for me Right, right, right. That also that. Yeah. Same yeah. Thing. And I remember, um, I like got single, I think I was like 30 and I liked this guy and I asked him out and he said no. And then like a year later got in touch and was like, do you want to come over for dinner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, this is such an insane jump where it's mm-hmm. like, I don't even want to get a drink with you to like, do you want to come over and have me cook for you? Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember thinking that I like didn't know how to process that because it seemed so adult and fast. And then I do think that the, then we ended up dating for a few months. And I do think that that being the foundation on which we first, you know, whatever hung out and like made out set a tone for like the speed of which things happen. Does that make sense? It's like an accelerant. Well, it's like you're in my space and like, I'm giving you this gift of me cooking, which can be very intense. So Carly, when you give advice to people, are you, do you say like for first dates, like definitely just go get a drink? Like what, like don't do dinner. Dinner is too much of a commitment for the first date. 
I mean, to me, cooking for someone on a first date, it feels like too much pressure. And for the exact reasons that you were saying, because like, I have like anxiety for them. Like it feels there's, yeah, there's all this, like, who do you like help do the dishes? It feels like it's not also like role-playing like a potential future sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's something so nice about taking that stress off of being at a restaurant to me. Yes. There's a performativity component sort of built into it. Um, I think, but I mean, to me, the drink was always the go-to because I was also often, you know, going on with people that I didn't know that well, that I was like meeting on apps or like meeting at a party. Whereas, so I just didn't want to feel so trapped. Yes, of course you need an easy out. Oh my God. You need to be able to be like one drink is kind of all I've got. I have a really early morning. Whereas if you're at their house, they're like, but there's another course coming. You're like, well, go. Oh Yeah. I know even at a restaurant, it feels too much of a tragedy. And in LA, yeah. like people are addicted to having their first dates be like hikes. I know. I hate <sighs> that. I think it's very weird. It's the thing I least relate to about people in LA, like always like having dates be like on hikes or walks. That's also because everybody out there is sober and into wellness. It's, I, I find it offensive. <laughs> I do too. A hike is sexy if like you've already been with the person for a for a while or whatever, but it's like I'm I I wanna be free to sweat as much as I want and to pant. Yeah. I don't want to be thinking about how my hair looks, how my hair is gonna look when I take off my ugly baseball cap, you know? Like Right. I feel like old like kind of old school in that way where I want to be able to curate the experience the first time. I wanna be able to like look nice, do my makeup. Be in like a bar with like the right kind of lighting, mm-hmm. be like not 100% sober and be able to leave, you know, have it be normal to leave after an hour if you want. Like to me, that's the perfect first day. I never liked a bar to be too fancy because again, it feels like sort of like pretentious, but right. then also a dive bar wasn't exactly for me, although I'd prefer dive bar to too fancy. One of the things I felt like I had the most anxiety about when I was going on dates, especially when you meet people on dating apps, is choosing. I always would prefer the guy to choose because I feel like... Yes. Yeah, like yeah. That there's this thing stapled and even though like I'm like a feminist or whatever, like that the guy often... I know that the guy often feels pressure to pay or wants to pay. I always offered to like split it or whatever, but sometimes they really want to. And not knowing someone's financial situation and therefore like wanting to pick somewhere that you like, but not somewhere that's too expensive. It like always stressed me out. I was always like, I'll go wherever you want. That's why I was, this is what I really found frustrating about online dating was every, every person who you would go on a date with would be like, you choose the place as if they're being super easy. And it's like, no, no, no. This is a big headache for me. That's actually, I would, I would just choose a dive bar. Cause then I was like, we'll get $2 beers. If we like each other, cool. If we don't like peace. But I, but I agree. It's, it's a, it's very stressful. I would say that's something that's stressful in relationships at, at all times. Like this idea, this false idea that like letting someone else choose is a nice gesture when actually it's like, please just choose it for me. Exactly. You are actually giving me so much decision fatigue, like having to choose all these things. It's not like you're giving me freedom and choice. And it's not that sometimes I don't want that responsibility. 
I agree. I don't, and I also like ho- I, like hosting anxiety, like whether it be you know having people over or just choosing, because like I know that I'm easygoing enough where pretty much I'll be happy with whatever someone chooses. But if I use a restaurant, I have so I'm constantly being like, is the food bad? Like, is it too loud? Like, do they hate this? And they're pretending they like it. Like, I just get really in my head about that. Yeah, totally. I'm thinking that because you chose it, it's a representation of like who you are. Like it reflects your personality somehow, even though you're like, I've never even been here. Sorry. I just chose it. Exactly. Can we get into food and sex aphrodisiacs? Can we like get into this stuff a little bit? What are your stance on aphrodisiacs? Do you think they're a real thing? Not a real thing? Have you ever felt the true effect of an aphrodisiac? Not really. I mean, I think for me, alcohol is aphrodisiac, like, you know, the right amount, not too little, not too much. I think like for me, to be honest, it's more about mitigating food being ultimately making you not want to have sex. You know what I mean? Like if I eat too much or a certain kind of food, I feel disgusting. And like, if I feel really full, like it just like having sex just seems unappealing. I think that environments can be an aphrodisiac, like a certain sort of bar or restaurant that feels like sexy. I keep talking about lighting, but like not like too romantic, but just feels like exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That that, so it's like a food or bar atmosphere, I think think can really be a turn on. And like the kind of, I love sitting at bars, like eating at bars or sitting at bars because I think there's something about like sitting next to someone, but like your like legs can touch and you can like touch mm-hmm. their leg under the table. Whereas like sitting across from each other feels a bit more formal. And so like that I think is sexy. I think there are certainly foods that I think are sexy, namely like oysters. Mm-hmm. Um, but some definitely something light. I mean, I'm totally with you. I think I found out way too late in life that like, it was totally okay to have sex and then have dinner. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, what is this whole thing of like, go have dinner and then go home and have sex? That is just, that should not be taught to anyone. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's like so much more fun to, you know, fool around and then be like, oh, now let's order a pizza or now let's go out to that restaurant. But I think something light, um, like an oyster situation or like a teeny tiny, I, I mean, I can find seafood very sexy, but I don't, I think strawberries are what people think of when they think, right? Strawberries, oysters, chocolate, but yeah, things that are, that are light and small, I think can totally. And also those things are often served in very sexy environments. Like I'm thinking about like Maison Premier in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Like it is just, there's, it's a hundred percent sexy. There's no way you can go there and feel like disgusting. Like you just want to have sex when you leave. Right. Like also lighting. seafood appetizers, oysters. I think you're mm-hmm. right. That's for me, I agree with that. I don't know what do you mean. I mean, I feel I sort of feel like, in a way, anything can be sexy if the mood feels right. Like if you're having a great time, it's all sexy. But like in and of itself, I think obviously feeling super like you know eating a huge meal and then feeling really full and being like can't wait to get naked. Of course, <laughs> you're like oh god, stay away from me. But um. Yes. Oysters, of course, a classic. I mean, anything that's very oral, I feel like is, well, eating is oral, turns out. <laughs> but anything, is right. it is? <laughs> the thing about a strawberry, man, a strawberry seed can just really drive me crazy. I have like stuck in your teeth? My night is over. We all learn from Pretty mm-hmm. Woman. That's why you should carry around floss with you, just in case. Good but, um, well, interestingly, I feel like Chinese 
medicine has like a lot of famous aphrodisiacs, but grated mountain yam is also supposed to be an aphrodisiac and they serve that in, in sushi. And I was once at a, at a restaurant and there was like an older man sitting with like a young, hot girl ordering hand roll after hand roll of grated mountain yam. <laughs> Just shaking my head. You're like, I see you, old man, my friend. And she clearly does not know that's a noted aphrodisiac. But like, I I don't think all the grated mountain yam in the world is like gonna do what a Viagra could do. You know? right? Just get a prescription, buddy. <laughs> so funny. But yes, I do think it's like just eat, but just eat after. It's so much more fun. Something yeah, to look forward to. I feel like you have to be like a dates in where it's like you are having sex you've had sex a handful enough times where inviting them over and going out yeah. after that's not like a first few dates. that's so true. right that's why in which case i guess okay so let's say you're going out to a first date with someone right you just keep it light i think so like i to me first dates without alcohol or first dates where i feel like i can't get out of it are always i know but then like yeah i've had the great first dates where you know, you have a drink and then you go another round, have a drink, and then you decide to get food, you know, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's leaving the door open for sort of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Which I really like. And I think you're right. Like sushi is actually a good. Food yeah. to sushi is also quite sexy. Yes. Yeah, right. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. It's gorgeous. It's like small bite size, you know, unless you find yourself on a date with someone who's just a disgusting eater, which I don't know. What's there to do about that? Nothing. Just no. enjoy your meal. <laughs> and I think like the kind of person who won't tell you if you have something in your teeth is bad. Like you have to tell somebody. Yeah. That's yeah. a tricky thing though. I know it's embarrassing, but having them go to the, going to the bathroom and feeling and finding out something in your teeth and they didn't tell you is like infuriating. It's terrible. Oh my God. It's terrible. Cause you're like, you've been sitting here for 20 minutes staring at my teeth. I tell people immediately now because I just like to handle it. I think that's a good, that's a good lesson to all of our listeners. <laughs> what about food as part of sex? I hate it. Like I find it actually like triggering. I think it's like, to me, it feels like Ricky Martin video or something where it's like the people actually like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love that. like I'd rather die. I'm not saying it's bad, but I just don't. At it. Yeah. I was saying to Sophie, I, I, is that even a thing to me? It just feels like that was big time. Like Cosmo, when we were all like <laughs> 13 years old, it was like, and then put some whipped cream on his bleep. And it was, <laughs> I remember being like, do people actually do this? You know, I'm like very far from even kissing a boy at that point in my life, but it just feels like a relic of another time written for magazines for preteen girls. Like, is it real? I don't know. I have a theory that the editors and the writers at Cosmo were like, we're just going to see how much we can sneak in (laughs) without readers writing in and being like, you are insane. Like (laughs) a donut and put it around your man's member. It's like, it's like, why? (laughs) (laughs) For a laugh. I mean, exactly. And giggle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't, I, I have not, I wouldn't say I fully engaged with food as part of sex in that way. And like a whipped cream, a chocolate, this all sounds very sticky. If I had plastic sheets, sure. But short of that. No, 
Yeah, I agree. It's not. And I think it's totally true where it's like whipped cream, ice. Like there was so much in those guides where it was always like 450 ways to turn on your man. Yeah. (laughs) There was like, they they got like desperate by number 300. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) It just became insane. There are like 5 million different ways. They just have nothing. 5 million sex positions. Yeah. (laughs) God. Um, should we just play a little game and then call it a night? The game is I'm going to name a bunch of foods okay. and you guys just tell me if you think that they are aphrodisiacs or not. Okay. Love it. Okay. Oysters, chocolate, strawberries, artichoke, figs, chili peppers, asparagus, and watermelon. Asparagus? No. Like opposite of. I'm going to say watermelon. No, because it's like, it's just water. There's nothing aphrodisiacal about water. <laughs> you have to eat so much after. Also, artichoke? No. Like, talking about getting something in your teeth. Oh, well, I'm thinking <sighs> of you, like, have the one. Yeah. Right. Although I feel like eating it is kind of sexy. I, I do think certain DIY foods are kind of sexy. Like, yeah, dipping it. Yeah. Um, I want to say chili peppers, yes. I know what you mean. I love hot food. Me too. Into love. All right. Do you guys, are you ready for the answer? Wait, we didn't talk about figs. I'm going figs have got to be an aphrodisiac. They look so sexual if you cut them in half. I know. I love them too. I love like farmer's market figs. Also Trader Joe's has good figs. Mm. I love a great <laughs> fig too. Delish. <laughs> um, it was a trick quiz. And all of these are technically aphrodisiacs, which is baffling. Like, how is asparagus? I guess it really is. There's a chemical because why there's nothing sexy about asparagus and it makes your pee stink. Same with artichokes. So there must be something in both of those things that like gets people going. I guess I don't know. So. part of me is like, or did somebody eat one of these foods and then like had sex once after and was like, it's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some scientist, <laughs> biologist. Yeah. Okay, Carly, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. It was like just so fun and easy to chat with you. Our final question for you is, if you were stranded on a desert island and only had one kind of chip, what chip would it be? Oh my God, Stacy's pita chips? Fine. Okay. Oh, I love the, I love the boldness. Me too. New. Oh, good. I'm yeah, I'm also a huge fan of Stacy's. I think yeah, Stacy no. is quite a woman. I could eat like five fucking hundred thousand of those. What a babe. What a babe. I know. She's she's gorgeous. We're gonna have so many new friends when COVID is over that we're gonna neglect all of our old friends. Like, guys, I haven't seen you in like a year and a half, but I really need to hang out with like Carly Shortino because She's the top of my list. I mean, some people say no new friends. I'm like, nothing but new friends. Yeah. <laughs> I just miss talking to strangers so much. Me too. You? Me too. I'm like, yeah, I miss my regular friends, but like I see them on Zoom. What I miss is being in a room with a person that I don't know and being like, hey, let me, I don't know, try to make you like me. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like the only interactions I have like that now are with doctors and just like, or like, you know, getting a COVID test yep. and trying to be like cracking jokes with someone sticking a thing up your nose just doesn't yeah. really work. It doesn't. So how's it going? Yeah. Done a lot of these. How many positive? <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Well. <laughs>
Um, so thank you so much, Carly. Please, guys, follow Carly wherever you can. Read her columns, buy her books. She's amazing. Watch her show. What else do we have coming up soon? We have so many exciting interviews coming up in 2021. Exciting topics that also Sophie and I will just cover. We've got the incredible Fuel the People coming on soon. We've got Jen um, Harris, which we've Jen spoken H- about. Ooh, uh, we have God, Anthony Jen Murphy, Harris. who runs Toasted Sister Podcast. We have a bunch of interviews coming up, but I'm always scared to say who they are because what if you know we don't end up interviewing them or something, and then it's out there in the airwaves that we were supposed to. No, so. I think that's good. That's what Oprah would say. That's what you should do. Oh, because it's manifesting. Yeah. So I'm saying I'm manifesting Oprah. Oprah is going to come on our show. Don't, you can't say that because guys, that she's meta? not coming on our show. She <laughs> might. I don't know. I just said it. So, Come should we on, just reach Oprah. out to her? Hey, sure. Oprah. You know, I've been on her show. Well, then come on. Come the fuck on. And you know what the most important thing is? That fucking asshole Trump is getting out of the White House. I'm sorry. I just had to say it. I had to say it here. Yes. And we are recording this uh, outro on Wednesday, January 6th. I'm very excited right now about what is happening in Georgia. Fingers crossed when you guys listen to this, we have more answers. But 2021 is shaping up to be not 2020. Yeah. I'm also scared that I just jinxed us and that like now he's not going to leave. So Stop. um, You're being really um, like pessimistic and- A realist? No, 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 no. Like in a not realist way. Oh, interesting. Well, pessimist. I don't know. Well, I don't mean to be a pessimist and I, I, I am generally an optimist. I've just, I worry sometimes I'm too much of an optimist and then I'm disappointed, you know? It's time to let these people go. It's time to let these people go. We love you and we'll talk to you. Um, hey, we'll see you next week. That's right. Bye guys. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.